electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends, I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you, so call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I think something's changing in this market. Look, we should have gone down... Friday, huge, after that gigantic Thursday rally. We should have gone down and stayed down this morning because of the FTX scandal. Something that definitely would have crushed a less vibrant market. And we should have been slammed all day when Chris Waller, an important Federal Reserve Board governor, said this weekend there's a ways to go before the rate hikes end. Instead, we get hit in the morning, and then next thing you know, Lael Brainerd, the Fed's vice chair, used the word soon in relation to a slowdown in rate hikes, which is exactly what the Bulls wanted to hear, and then we had a nice bounce uh, until we did indeed roll over. At the end of the day, ultimately Dow sinking 211 points, S&P losing 0.89%, NASDAQ falling 1.12%. But the fact is, this market put on quite a show for most of the day before some late hour selling. You want to know why this market has become so resilient lately? I think it's because of thinking uh, like we got from Vice Chair Brainerd. If the Fed's not going to tighten aggressively from here, still tighten, definitely, but not aggressively, the bears won't have enough fuel to keep mulling the averages. Now, you might think this is happening too painlessly, but that's actually not true. It's where the pain is highly concentrated. We're seeing layoffs and closings left and right. Think crypto or lunatic techno apparel ideas or fattened up enterprise software firms that have done so well for so long, they've never needed to bother with efficiency. We're starting to see some layoffs at Amazon. I think there are many more to come there. Larger ones at Meta Platforms. And I bet there'll be more coming from big tech. Does Alphabet really need all these people, including the ones they just added? Does Microsoft? I don't think so. They've just made so much money for so long at these companies. Maybe, maybe they just don't know how to fire. Now, if we look at anything tech, fintech, real estate tech, enterprise software tech, or anything that needs advertising tech to make the quarter, we know exactly who is feeling the pain. The house of pain. It's just less visible to those who don't work in tech. And it's not just that they're firing people. 
So many of these tech companies offer their employees tons of what's, of what's known as stock-based compensation. Yeah, a big part of their income is from stocks. But now that their stocks have collapsed, a lot of that compensation is going up in smoke. Still more has to be perhaps paid out in cash. The purchasing power of these people is being destroyed, and the companies aren't doing as well once we see what's really happening. Once you pull back stock-based compensation, you'll see they're not doing that well. It pays also in the companies we've never heard of. The startups that were supposed to come public and didn't. The ones David Solomon, CEO of Goldman Sachs, talked about last week. He explained that there's a queue to come public, but to me, that's a queue to nowhere. There's no appetite for IPOs here, and it won't come back until the market's more secure. And forget about SPACs, please. The craziest thing, though, is, is what people are buying. Later tonight, we'll talk about what I call the if recession, as in if there's a recession. Here are the stocks to buy. Not sell. Even if they're exactly the names you're supposed to sell in a normal slowdown. You think the bears were betting against the nation's best steelmaker, Nucor, which roared higher today, not lower. The usual suspects, the sickle stocks, you usually line up against the wall and just annihilate. They spent the last few weeks rallying like crazy. They're sitting now, they're not immune, but they seem immune to a slowdown. These industrials finished the day up nicely, even when the whole market pulled back into the close, because the market is led, of course, by tech, which is the biggest sector. But companies that let you buy now and pay later or help businesses figure out who's creditworthy or the ones that make point-of-sale systems, these are a dime a dozen. And you know what? Frankly, most of them, just are, they're just prosaic nothings. I mean, who can even keep them straight? I have to look them up every single time, and I know a lot of companies. Same goes for the companies that help manage, massage, explain, or protect your data. I wonder if you couldn't just have all that done by two companies, Palo Alto and Salesforce.com. All right, throw in some service down, maybe some workday. By the way, Salesforce has gotten original controlling costs. They're slimming down the business while buying back $10 billion worth of stock. In the old days, you'd expect them to be issuing $10 billion worth of stock instead of buying it back for the shareholders. Here's the question, though. Are the losses in tech and crypto big enough to make a difference to the Fed's thinking? I look at it like this. The Fed doesn't want excess, and Silicon Valley is the poster job for excess. Do you think there's excess at Norfolk Southern? you think Deere has too many employees? Union Pacific? That's nuts. A railroad like Union Pacific let so many people go during the pandemic that they're actually struggling to find people to work. That is not a sign of excess. Now, let me make it clear what I am not saying. I don't think the crypto collapse by itself will cause the Fed to relent. However, I bet they're very happy to see the speculative bubble popping. There were just too many crypto Powerball winners, and that's ending. There are so many different kinds of coins that are they're just ridiculous. Stable coins, joke coins, alleged coins, new milli-minute coins, all backed up by the full faith and credit of really angry people on the Internet who have a million reasons why they're right and you're wrong. And they don't believe for a moment that they possibly, possibly could be making big mistakes here. They talk about decentralized finance when you bring up what a bunch of joke things are. And and somehow DeFi, Bob, makes it so that you can have Shiba Inu or Polkadot or Chainlink or Dogecoin. As if you take any of those coins if you ran any kind of business, even a lemonade stand. The cryptids were able to keep this game going for ages because they're so loud and combative and angry. But as the industry implodes and we find out about scam after scam, no amount of tweets or Reddit posts is going to turn things around. It's been crypto mob rule for too long, and the mob is starting to weaken. As for tech, when I look at how many of these companies that were created just say to generate leads, sales leads, I mean, I got to laugh. I, I toss sales at Goldman. I mean, enough already. If there are so few businesses being started, and there are, and you've already sold them your software scheme, or at least given them the free version, then forget about it. 
I cannot believe how many cloud software companies exist to get things cheaper or help their clients win customers for less money. You could roll them all up into one firm and nobody would know the darn difference. Now, we're all used to the old line industrials taking on the chin when the Fed engineers a recession. But let me ask you, if you're a software engineer for Alphabet or a programmer for Meta Platforms, do you feel like buying a new beach house? Or are you sweating out whether to buy a Whirlpool washing machine at Lowe's? I think it's the latter. Tech work suddenly got very, very precarious. Of course, tomorrow we're going to start hearing from another group of precarious stocks, the retailers. And that means we'll be hearing about tales of macroeconomic environmental woes. That's right. The macro environment's tough. Remember, they always play in the environment. It's never like they got the wrong merchandise. They just want to blame the headwinds from inflation and the Federal Reserve for their problems. That's okay. doesn't matter. It's time honored. What does matter, though, what you need to know is that other than travel, people aren't really doing much. They're hunkered down now, trying to figure out if they should go back to work while going to their 10th wedding since we came out of the pandemic boat. They're trying to figure out how much longer they can take spending so much on renovations. And what's, what, what's with the fancy clothes? They don't know what to do. Yeah, we'll get an earful from the retailers, and I think most of it will not be pleasant. But the conclusion is simple. There's enough turmoil that the Fed needs to slow down its rate hikes, if only to prevent the headwinds from turning into some sort of weird Cat 5 hurricane. Here's the bottom line. Even though it can be hard to notice, the Fed's already done a great deal of damage to the economy. It's just that it's all packed into the most bloated sectors, and that no longer includes, say, housing, the typical brunt bearer. And maybe, just maybe, we can cool down inflation by burying tech and crypto without crushing the rest of the economy. Let's go to Seth in Texas. Seth. Hey, Jim. Uh, it's good to talk with you. I'm a member of the investing club, so I know you're oh, big into you. Wells Fargo. Um, I really like this new CEO, Jane, at City, and I really like the tangible book value. But why, I guess, what do you think about, like, what do you, what's your thoughts on City as a whole? Uh, okay, I think she's doing a great job, but I need to know how that tangible book value could be so far above the common, where the common stock is. I have to tell you that something is wrong there, and I don't know what it is, but you should not have that variation between tangible book and where the stock is, and I find it quite disconcerting. Bob in Ohio, Bob. Hello, Jim Kramer. Yes, you got me, Bob. What's up? Hey, good, great to talk to you. Thanks for taking my call. First time, long Thank time. Thank you. Oh, hey, excellent. Uh, my question today uh, is about Dominion Energy. I've been accumulating shares for about 10 years, so needless to say, it's been somewhat of a disappointment. Now we've got management uh, talking about a review of the businesses and potential sale of more assets, most notably uh, the uh, Coke Point plant. Right. Uh, do you see something good here for the long-term investor, or is this just going to be a house of pain? You know, I, 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 I have been very, very confused. CFO leaves, top to bottom. There's something wrong at Dominion. And I'm not sure until we get the full airing what the heck it is. Right now, you have 4.6% yield. How about we wait till 5%? I think the dividend is safe. I, look, I've got to, I'm going to be very, very candid here on this one. Bob, I have not not a single idea of what's really going on at Dominion. They should come on air and explain it to us because we've been really good supporters of Dominion, but not this Dominion. Let's go to Charles and Maryland, please. Charles. Yes, good afternoon. How are you today? I am good. How are you? Good, good. Quick question. I know um, MSFT Microsoft is one of the companies you like in terms of um, having bottom line profits and uh, good fundamentals. The question I have for you, though, is at this price or where it is now, do you think it's a good time to buy or should 
we wait until it drops a bit lower. I, I want you to wait. We sold some for the Chapel Trust today. I never thought I'd sell any Microsoft. But I think these tech stocks are just, many of them are just overinflated and they're going to get hammered. And we warned people last week with the Chapel Trust who belong to the investment club that we would let some Microsoft go. And we did so just like that today. Like the Fed's already done a great deal of damage to the economy. They said it's all packed into the most bloated sectors like tech. Maybe just maybe we can cool down inflation by burying tech and crypto without crushing the rest of the economy. On Mad Money tonight, for a while it felt tough to find some solid winners in this state, but after a nice recent run of the cyclicals, now what do you do with the sector? I'll give you my take. It should be pretty surprising. Retail earnings there on deck this week. Could this be a turnaround quarter for a host of big names, or do we have to wait? I'm sharing what you need to know. And Logitech's been on a roller coaster for stock. So what should you do with the hardware company at these levels? I'm talking to CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Last week we got a massive rally after cooler than expected inflation reading. And it's feel like maybe the Fed doesn't need to tighten as aggressively going forward. There's been a lot of focus on the tech stocks that suddenly roared higher because they do better in an easy money environment. But like I explained at the top of the show, 
I'm more interested in a rally that's been quietly unfolding for the past few weeks, not just the last few trading days. I'm talking about the incredibly powerful run in the cyclical names, some of which have had shocking moves higher. I say shocking because these cyclical smokestack stocks are exactly, precisely what you're supposed to avoid or sell going into any Fed-mandated recession like it looks like we're having. The H1 playbook says that when the economy slows, you need to avoid the cyclicals like the play. Their earnings are hostage to the state of the economy. Obviously, you can't own them when the economy's deteriorating, right? So how the heck are the cyclicals running like this? Are we looking at a weird counter-trend rally that will quickly come undone and fizzle once Wall Street realizes that the Fed's still going to bring the pain? Albeit in smaller portions. Or could this stunning rally in the cyclicals actually have even more legs? I'm going to give you some examples. In recent weeks, Boeing, Caterpillar, Deer, Dow, Honeywell, and Nucor have all caught fire. Why don't we start with Boeing? Technically, this stock bottomed in June at 113, but it rolled over again and came close to those levels in late September, only making a higher low at 121. That higher low is key. Since then, Boeing soared all the way to the low 170s. Now, we're talking about a 43% gain here, despite the fact that this one's one of the worst-run companies in existence. But now the stock seems unstoppable. Even when Boeing reported a pretty awful quarter in October with a $2 billion revenue shortfall, after initially dropping nearly 9% on the news, made sense. The stock turned around the next day, and it hasn't looked back since. Made no sense? I don't know. Then there's Caterpillar, which set a 52-week low in the last week of September at 160 and change. Cat's now up roughly 75 bucks from those levels for a 47% gain. That is wild. We spoke to CEO Jim Umpleby in late October after his company reported an excellent quarter by any means. My only concern was the stock had nearly had already jumped nearly 8% earlier that day in anticipation. Apparently, there's nothing to worry about because it's up another 11% since then. A couple of analysts even downgraded Cat from buy to hold wrong. It's done nothing to blunt the stock's momentum. Deers managed to run from 320s in late September to 407 today, up nearly 25% from its September low, and up 43% from its bottom back in July. This thing's become borderline unstoppable, the exact opposite of the tech stocks everybody seems to love. Dow, the big commodity chemical maker, bottomed at 43 a month ago. Since then, its stock has rallied 21%. It's got a good yield there. Honeywell, which we own for the Chapel Trust, made a double bottom in mid-July and late September. Since those late uh, September lows, the stock has jumped 28%. Full disclosure here, we actually took advantage of this strength to trim on our position a couple weeks ago, but we, we kept most of it. When your favorite stocks roar in a very quick period of time, you've got to take something off the table. That's how we've learned. Even if you think they've got more upside, which we think this does, but it's called discipline, and we always think that discipline trumps conviction. Finally, there's long-term Kramer fave Nucor. Yes, the best steel maker in America. Here's a stock that was trading 102 and change in late September. Now it's back up to 142 and change. That is a monster 38% gain, and I don't even think it's done. How the heck do we explain these moves? Oh, let me give you a couple explanations. First, there's a sense that maybe the Fed won't need to push us in a real recession in order to stamp out inflation. Somewhere around the spring or early summer, it became conventional wisdom that we were indeed headed for a nasty one. And in a typical recession, these smokestack stocks just get, they're goners. They get crushed. Their earnings fall off a cliff. Shares roll over. But how the heck can we be in a recession when we just had 2.6% GDP growth in the third quarter and we have incredibly low unemployment? Now the conventional wisdom is that the recession is coming next year. And the Fed certainly has the power to make that happen. However, I think Wall Street went all in betting on a crash landing for the economy. Not enough money was bet on a soft landing. 
where we avoid a real recession because j is a little bit more cerebral and deaf than many people think. The cyclists are running because maybe, just maybe, the Fed can get inflation under control without totally wrecking the economy, something that seems more likely now that we're finally fixing the supply chain mess that created shortages all over the place. Remember, that's the logistics problem. In late September, the smokestack stocks were trading like there was no possibility of a model slowdown rather than a severe one. That was clearly too negative, except for maybe for some tax. The second driver is something I mentioned at the top, the, what I call the if-recession story. As in, even if we have a recession, it really seems like the pain is highly concentrated in tech and advertising and hyper-speculative assets like crypto. Think about it like this. In the past couple of years, the excesses have mostly been limited to the tech space. So why shouldn't the hangover be concentrated in tech, too? This is something I've been newly on for past weeks, a thesis I explained in depth in my Sunday think piece that went out to only to CNBC Investment Club members last night. Why well, I always urge you to join, especially at the Thursday club meeting. In short, what if the Fed can do enough to beat inflation by popping the tech bubble? That's where we are now. It's possible they simply don't need to raise interest rates to the point where the industrials just start getting crushed. Third, a lot of these smokestack stocks have powerful secular trends on there, too. Not cyclical, but secular. Boeing, to lesser extent, Honeywell have lots of aerospace exposure at a time when the airlines are desperate for new planes because there's a global travel boom. Caterpillar, Deer, and Nucor all stand to gain a great deal from the big federal infrastructure bill. We're going to follow this federal infrastructure bill very aggressively in the next few weeks because it's going to be a major source of earnings for companies. Caterpillar, another one, also benefits from years of underinvestment in domestic energy production. That's the most important industry, not China. Deer wins thanks to the global boom in crop prices. Dow Chemicals got growth drivers, too, like the rise of electric vehicles that require all sorts of plastics and lightweighting tools. DuPont, by the way, has some there, too. So maybe we should stop thinking of these names as cyclical stocks that are help, help us in a softer economy. Maybe these are just great companies that have positioned themselves in some terrific end markets and dominate their industries to the point where potential customers have no choice but to turn to them. And by the way, these are lean and mean operations because they've been through all sorts of downturns. Bottom line, a lot of stocks were higher last week. I think you need to use this opportunity to sell. Sell the strength, the techs into any strength, okay, when we get it because they're right in the middle of the Federal Reserve's blast zone. But as for the cyclical smokestack stocks, May and then could be worth owning on anything like you get in the last 10 minutes of today's trading, because I think even in a softer economy, they could be a great place to be. Wow, what a change. Man, money's back at the break. Coming up, feel that rhythm? It's the tempo of earnings season. Can retail's results change your tune about the sector? Find out next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
There's a rhythm during the season. First, we get the financials. Then the two busiest weeks where we're flooded with reports, including most of the mega cap tech plays. Boy, weren't they awful? Then there's a week that's dominated by energy last week. And now we're up to the next section. Two weeks of wall-to-wall retail. And it's going to be tough. Now, normally, I love hearing from the retailers. These are consumer-facing companies that everyone's familiar with. And more important, they can tell us a great deal about the state of the consumer. This year, it's been a little more complicated because retail's been struggling. The S&P retail ETF, the XRT, peaked at 104 and change roughly a year ago, like so many other things, right? For sinking to $55 at its lows in September, like so many other things. And although it's rebounded back to 65 now, it's still down 37% from its highs. Most people think of tech as the hardest hit sector in this market, but believe it or not, NASDAQ Composite is only down about 31% from its highs. Sure, there are some sub-sectors of tech that are much worse, and I talked about a lot of those at the top. And of course, the IPOs and SPACs, they're so bad that there's no comparison other than to Sam Bankman-Free. But retail's been, just kidding, but retail's been awful. Why? Bunch of reasons. First, most retailers are now up against some pretty tough comparisons. Because they did great last year, thanks to all that stimulus that came in. Remember the checks, the huge child tax, tax credit payments? Boy, those were really unappreciated. We got none of that this year. So the retailers are having to lap periods where consumers had a lot of extra firepower courtesy of Uncle Sam. And lapping is one of the most important concerns when you're trying to trade retail stocks. Second, they've still got supply chain problems. This was a problem last year, too, but now it's creating ripple effects. Many retailers failed to get product in time for the holidays last year, so they started ordering things early this year to avoid having their merchandise get stuck on a boat. Some of them double ordered, too. But the problem with ordering early is that you're loading up on inventory before you have a real grasp of what the consumer actually wants. Which brings me to problem number three. In the 2022 consumer, they got very little in common with the 2021 consumer. People aren't worried about COVID anymore, so they're spending a lot less money on physical stuff because they're not in the house all the time, and a lot more on travel and experiences. Not great for retailers because they're in the stuff business. Fourth and most important, though, the economy is indeed getting worse. No one thinks it's getting better. Earlier this year, we had to worry about inflation eating into consumers' discretionary spending. Now we've still got inflation, but we've also got the Federal Reserve aggressively raising interest rates that impact your credit card, by the way, to cool down the economy. I mean, if you didn't know that. For example, we're suddenly hearing about big tech layoffs. Obviously, people spend less when they're out of work. And generally speaking, we tend to be more cautious with our money when we sense that the economy's in trouble. Now, though, we're in an odd situation. When the market exploded higher last week, the retailers led the way. In fact, the whole group bottomed about six weeks ago. Wall Street's suddenly feeling more positive. I think there's been a gradual realization that while consumer spending habits have changed, some chains have been hit a lot harder than others. At the same time, the stocks have come down so dramatically that they're already baking in some pretty brutal numbers. Perhaps most important, all sorts of costs are finally coming down, especially logistical costs, which were the worst part of the equation. And that's good for retail margins. It's also good news for the Fed because it means that they may not have to raise interest rates so aggressively going forward. We heard about that from Lyle Brainerd earlier today. So what do we watch for over the next couple of weeks of retail earnings season? First, Wednesday morning, we get October's big uh, picture retail sales data. Wall Street's looking for a 1% gain month over month, which would be the biggest increase since June. It can hit that number. Well, it just would justify a lot of the recent enthusiasm here, although I think that's a little glib. Let's talk about actual earnings. Walmart reports tomorrow with Target following up on Wednesday. They were the canaries of the coal mine back in May. 
Fast forward six months, and their stocks sure seem like they've already bought them months ago, right? Walmart pre-announced bad numbers last time. Their actual quarter came in better than expected. Kind of fooled me. As for Target, they took their medicine in June, pretty much saying they get rid of their excess inventory by any means necessary, even if that meant a short-term margin. Sure enough, the actual quarter in August was heinous. But it didn't hurt the stock because we knew Target was on the right track. I wish I felt that same level of conviction. Now, so have Walmart and Target gotten their act together? You need to listen to what they have to tell you about inventory levels and, more important, their commentary on the upcoming holiday season. Bank of America just published this note that really got me worried this morning. It's pointed to declining foot traffic at both chains. I, w- I didn't expect this. It was an unexpected piece. I, I highlighted it this morning on Squawk of the Street. It's that's not good. But if they say the right things about inventory levels and Christmas, well, maybe their stocks will pause or maybe take a hit, okay, but then bottom and then be good to go from here. We also hear from Home Depot. That'll be interesting tomorrow morning. Lows coming up on Wednesday. Now, these are tough for to read. Home Despot delivered surprisingly strong results the past couple of quarters, but that doesn't save the stock at all because Wall Street doesn't want to touch anything housing related except for the housing stocks. How unnerving is this moment? Lowe's has had more trouble because they're, they're focused on do-it-yourself renovators, not professional contractors. It's got the same dilemma. My view, listen, Lowe's and Home Depot are far more levered to renovation than they are to new construction. And you're more likely to remodel if you suddenly can't afford to move because mortgage rates are at 7%. That may take some sinking in, though, before people realize the one I'm most closely watching is TJX, the off-price chain behind TJ Maxx that we own for the Travel Trust. When the rest of the industry struggles with excess inventory, TJX swoops in, buys it for next to nothing, then flips it to the consumer at a great price. We started buying this one for the trust in August. We're now up around 15%. If you belong to the CNBC Investing Club, we sent you our full TJX preview earlier today. These guys report on Wednesday, and I expect encouraging things. Although I have to tell you, they do have a history of really awful conference calls when the stock is getting clobbered before the market gets open. So be careful. As for the rest of the off price change, we hear from Ross Stores on Thursday, Burlington next Tuesday, Ollie's coming in early December. How about the department stores? Now, both Macy's and Kohl's report on Thursday morning. I like Macy's despite its guidance cut last quarter. It's got great management. Kohl's has less going for it, but they already pre-announced it, and so maybe it's de-risked. I don't know. Uh... It's, it's tough to tell. I just can't tell for that one. We also hear from some truly hated outfits like Bath and Body Works on Thursday. That's recent, though. I think that it can come back. And then the despised Gap stores. There, I'm not so sure. Gap's bounced over the past couple months, but don't get your hopes up. Friday, we hear from Foot Locker, now run by the great Mary Dillon, who made us fortunes at Ulta Beauty, along with Buckle, a perennially underappreciated apparel chain that's up nicely since we recommended it back in April. Finally, next Tuesday, the floodgates open, and we get results from Nordstrom, probably just okay. Best Buy, probably just okay. Dollar Tree, probably just okay. American Eagle, probably not great. And Abercrombie, just okay. And then the one I'm most excited about with, Dick's, better than okay. So has retail finally turned the corner after being hated for most of the year? Here's the bottom line. Too, too, too soon to tell. We're seeing some signs of hope, but the next two weeks will tell us whether the recent move was legitimate or just a temporary fakeout. So pay close attention because this just might be the last bad quarter for retail before people get sick of travel and decide there finally is something worth buying again. Let's take phone calls. Let's go to Bradley in Texas. Bradley. Hey, Kramer. I was listening to the Airbnb earnings call, and they kept using the word excited during the call. Meanwhile, the founders have sold over a billion dollars worth of stock. Considering actions speak louder than words, how should investors react? Well, boy, that is a really good point. Um, I will tell you that I think that Brian Chesky has a great business. Uh, now, the problem with this is that it sells at a very high multiple, and no one wants high multiple stocks, even ones that are as good as 
Airbnb. So I have to be careful, but I do like it very much. Let's go to Craig in California. Craig. Hey, hey, hey. Booyah, Chill Master Jay. Booyah, what's happening? Uh, a little bit of a quandary. Maybe you can help me out with something. Um, I've got a wide range of stocks at the top, about 20% ownership protein is McDonald's. Uh, well, I got to tell you, I think McDonald's uh, is so well run. It is so well run. Do not worry about it. Hey, by the way, Yum's looking very good, too, but I think McDonald's is a superior operator, and I just can't believe how it just doesn't really come in. So I can really tell people you must buy it right here. All right, now we're seeing mixed signals, some signs of hope about retail, but the next two weeks will tell us whether the recent move was legitimate or just a temporary fake out. Remember, we got double order and we got worries about the macroeconomic picture. Much more at Moneyhead, including my exclusive with Logitech. After surging the last few weeks, should investors start listening to what the stock is telling you? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then Morgan Stanley thinks 2023 is going to be the year of yield. So if that's true, which names could be big winners? I'll give you my take. In order to call us, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. What do we do with a roller coaster stock like that of Logitech International? The maker of computer accessories and various other gadgets. Anything related to the PC business we know has been awful this year because people already bought new home office gear during the worst days of the pandemic. But in the last few weeks, Logitech surged from 41 to roughly 62. Some of that's because the company reported a better than expected quarter late last month. Management reaffirming their four-year forecast for 2023. Lots of analysts thought they'd have to slash their sales forecast thanks to the strong dollar. It didn't really happen. Like many COVID winners, the stock spent roughly a year and a half as a punching bag for finding its footing over the past month. So is the comeback real, or do we need to be more cautious? Let's check in with Bracken Darrell in person, the straight-shooting president and CEO of Logitech International. Get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Darrell, welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you so much for having me back, Jim. Okay, so Bracken, uh, I want to talk about the, the, this notion of reassembling the, uh, the office, how we're going to reassemble uh-huh. it. Sure. But first, you did something that almost no, no one in Silicon Valley seems to know how to do, which is you cut expenses to the point where you really did surprise the upside. What is so different? What cloth are you cut from that these other people just seem to think it doesn't matter? <laughs> well, we, we, uh, we, we really, when we went through the pandemic, and we had so much growth through the pandemic, we grew 80% over two years. And uh, we, when we added ex- costs, we always thought, okay, let's be ready to take them back out again. So we tried to really play risk manager even as we grew. Well, because the gross margins, I, I, I got to tell you, 38.6, that's not bad. I mean, you have, you're in a cutthroat business. No, it's really good. I, actually, I'm quite proud of the gross margin number because there's five points of inflation right? currency in that number. I mean, you can add that on in a, if we get to a steady state that looks like it did yesterday, you know, a few years ago. So I feel really good about our gross you margins. You should. Okay, so a lot of people say everyone built the new office. Work from home is real. You say that, too. Yep. But you have proposed a new way to look at it, which is that maybe we, haven't, we did it in a hurry. Yeah. Maybe we just now it's time to do it right. And yeah. a lot of your stuff is what makes it right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it won't surprise anybody watching to know that, that whether you're a company or an individual, as, the, as hybrid came and we scrambled out of our offices and people were carrying computers right. under their right. arms, you know, they were scrambling to get anything they could for a home office. A lot of people had, a, had some kind of a, a laptop or something, but it became a permanent. Now they needed something permanent. And then the offices themselves have needed to completely change because we've got a different configuration of working, mm-hmm. meeting, how much time you're in the office. So this whole world is, is we move fast out of the office. We're kind of slowly getting back right. in. 
And now, there's, now we're in the move to make those offices and those home, home workspaces work. And so this is the future we're in. All right, so tell me about what the new video looks like at home, because what you've got is what Zoom needs. I mean, Zoom, we had Zoom on this, and they, you and I both know they're nice people. Great but people. this I is love, something love that they should have. Well, I, I just love them. So whether you're in the home or in the office, what you need is very high-quality audio. Right. And you need really high-quality video. So in, we, we, we just launched a new uh, webcam. It won't surprise you, which has a privacy shutter. You know, you really right. want to have privacy. It's super high-quality video, super high-quality audio, and the ability to track you. The office is even cooler, Jim. The office, you know, the office of the past was you, you, had, a, you had a camera at the front of the room. Right. You had good audio, and that was about it. Now you, you need more because as we went through the pandemic and you saw you know, Hollywood Squares right. up on the screen, you're getting used to seeing people straight on. So what we just announced uh, about a month ago is that now you'll have not only the video, the, the camera at the front of the room, you'll also have what looks like a, a Red Bull cam that you can drop down on the table. It will, work, it will take each of us and put them on the screen for the remote participant. Now they've got the Hollywood Squares if they want it. They can see the full room. They've got great audio. And my favorite product, to be honest, of all time, uh, since I've been at Logitech, I think, is Scribe, which is a camera you put on any kind of whiteboard. You push a big blue or red button next mm -hmm. to it, and it, go, it becomes a participant on the screen in a Zoom call or in a Microsoft Teams call or Google call. It's amazing. Now, could you have, how many people, could, could you have thousands watching? You can, you can have, I think you can have up to a thousand. Really? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be special for some of the stuff I'm thinking about doing for our investing club. Oh, that yeah. would be a dynamite. Absolutely, idea. I'm on Holy your investing club. Holy cow! Yeah. Holy cow! That is a great way yeah. to get the message More than across a to a yeah. particular group of people. Now, you've also got Logitech G elevates game streaming by unveiling cloud-first handheld gaming device. We know we had Take Two on. People are playing these games this way. Absolutely. No, there's absolutely no cessation of that. No, no, no. Cloud, cloud gaming is like the, this is the equivalent of what, what TV went through when Netflix came out. Right. You know, we're now having the same thing happen in gaming. So this, this device we launched is our first, really the first ability to stream games live and move around the house. And you can be sitting in front of your TV like you always were, but then you can go to the bedroom and play. Well, Bracket, let me ask you, you've got so many great products, but you're not a big company. How do you handle all this? I mean, how do you? <laughs> no, but I mean, someone could argue. Well, wait a second. You can't. You, you can't get your behind everything. There's some that are going to get stillborn. Some that are going to get too much. I mean, I feel like you're kind of don't have the resources to push everything. You know, I'm not going to pull any punches with you, Jim. We are too good at managing complexity, and so every once in a while we have to go back through and say, okay. Let's reduce the number of product families. Okay. Let's That's reduce it. the number of new products. We've just gone through right. that. So we've actually reduced both of them. By the end of the year, we'll probably be down 25% in total product families. But we'll still, I think we'll grow right through that because this actually will get better focused on things we do. So small, you know, bit fewer, bigger is our mantra. All right. That's, that I like very much. That's Bracken Darrell. I like Bracken Darrell very much. You're president and CEO of Logitech, L-O-G-I. Gotten over the hump and doing a lot of new thinking about your office, your home, and your gaming. That money's back in. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Play the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's go to Jan, Missouri. Jan. 
Jan, you're right. Hi, Jim. Thanks for all you do, and I am a club member. Oh, thank you, Jim. Thank you. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for being a member. What are your thoughts on Rocket Pharmaceuticals, R-C-K-T? Thank you very much. Okay, no, this is a very early-stage company that has a lot in the pipe. I tend to like these companies. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pay off, but if you get a bunch of them, I think you're going to be fine. Let's go to Damien in Iowa. Damien. Yeah, booyah, Jimmy Kill. Booyah, Damien, what's happening? I've been chilling. I know I haven't been on the mentions beating anybody up lately. What's up? Should I stay long on Plug Power? All right, the Plug Power is losing a fortune, which just bugs me. It bugs me because the revenues are up big. They have to get expenses under control. They must get expenses under control. Let's go to Betsy in California. Betsy. Hey, Kramer. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Betsy. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, Jim, first of all, before we do anything, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. If I had paid a university to teach me what you've taught me over the past 20 years, then I'd be broke as opposed to being, Uh. oh, gee, fairly rich. So, oh, thank I, you. Thank you. That's why you are why I do this show, Betsy, because, man, believe me, it can be very difficult to do. Thank you. I understand. You should see my schedule this well, week. Anyway, so I love, I love the club. But let me, let me just you. run a stock by you that I haven't heard you talk about. I was looking for a stock in the agricultural space, and I was hoping to find one that also had a health care component, and I found it. I found SQM. Sociedad Quimica. Sociedad Quimica. My problem here, Betsy, and and you'll understand this because you remember the club, is I think there's too much political risk. If the stock were much, much slower, it's up 100%, I wouldn't mind. But the political risk is too high when you go down to Latin America, especially after a lot of those new governments came in. But thank you for those kind comments because, man, this is going to be one bear of a week where we're going to get through it together. Jim in Oregon. Jim. Hey, how's it going? Not bad, Jim. Uh, How are you? Oh, good, good. Beautiful weather out here today. But unfortunately, oh, the bets lost last weekend. So, <laughs> Hey, I was wondering about Anavex Life Sciences, symbol AVXL. They've got a drug. This is another one that I kind of like. I've got to tell you, I find these companies that... Now, in biotech, I do not like losses in tech. But in biotech, I can accept the fact that if they have a good pipeline... You know, one of the things I'm looking at Ben Stoto, who is a, an unfortunate commander's fan... And I'm thinking about, you know what, we have to do a pipeline piece about some of these crazier stocks that really aren't crazy at all. And let's go to Mark in Nevada. Mark. Hey, Dr. Kramer. I have been suffering from a case of remorse for a stock I didn't buy for like the last eight to ten years that you loved. And I think I found another one. And it feels a lot like Adobe. This is GoPro. No, I'm going to have to go stop. I, I'm a stop go. I, whatever. I just don't think that they're doing well enough to recommend. I really just don't. But I will go to Scotty in Louisiana. Scotty. Yes. Illinois Tool Works. I already own it. Do I sell yes. it or do I Yes. I like it? it. No, Illinois no, no, no. Works. Buy more as it comes in. This is the kind of stock that is doing incredibly well. And if it gets hit, it is a gift. Okay. ITW a gift. We're not done. Let's keep going. Let's go to Michelle in Wisconsin. Michelle. Hi, Jim. Ryan Specialty Group, ticker R-Y-A-N. You know, I got to find out what the hell went wrong with that one last week. I have to, I, I, that thing went down really badly and I don't understand why. It's usually a very normal kind of regular company and it got slammed. I got to find out before I can recommend it. Let's go to Roger in Minnesota. Roger. 
Hello, hey Jim. Say, I got to say a long time, first time. All right. Wanted to say how much I appreciate your take on the market each and every day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Sorry about your Phillies, but uh, hopefully your Eagles. That's okay. We got much further than I thought. Yeah, not much further than I thought. Well, clearly I'm a Viking fan, so hopefully we see a rematch. Uh, Nice, nice win. Um, yeah, unbelievable. The stock I want to talk about is a smaller medical product company. It's posting sales and earnings growth over 100% year over year. They brought to market a new technology and product. Okay, new, and what stock is it? What stock is it? Okay. New calcium deposits in, in clogged blood vessels and arteries. All right, that's and, fantastic. Um, What's the stock's name? It kind of reminds me of uh, Intuitive Surgical. It's Shockwave. I need a name. Okay, Shockwave. Shockwave's a good company. Very expensive stock, though. But a good company. Very expensive. Thank you for those comments. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is the year of the yield upon us? What part the oils could play in the calendar year to come? Next... Morgan Stanley put out this big piece on 2023 titled The Year of Yield about what to do in a world with less growth and lower inflation. As Morgan Stanley sees it, central banks around the world could be able to pause their rate hikes and maybe even reverse some of them as the global economy goes into a downturn. If they're right, you can certainly make a major push to own two-year treasuries that yield 4.4%. That's a very good price for a risk-free return. And remember, you get your principal back in two years, right in time for a stock rebound. As for me, I agree next year is all about the hunt for yield once central banks beat down inflation. So I want to throw some hats in the ring. In a world where Wall Street wants yield, I think you should own an oil stock. Specifically, you want to own one of the oils that returns capital to the shareholders religiously, rather than pouring all the money into pumping more crude. The high-yielding oil producer is a brand-new concept. If you go back 20 years ago, the leader in the oil patch was the late Aubrey McLennan, founder of Chesapeake Energy, and one of the most outspoken executives I've ever met. Aubrey, who died in an accident six years ago, taught me a lot about the oil business, oil and gas, I should say, especially how uneconomic it was. He often explained that producers would just mindlessly pump all they could. They had no marketing department. Every time prices went up, they'd drill more, flood the market with excess crude, and push prices right back down. They had no discipline. That has all changed in the last few years. Many of the oil companies have learned their lesson. Instead of drilling for the sake of drilling, they husband cash or return it to you via bountiful dividends and buybacks. Not that long ago, Mike Worth, the CEO of Chevron, talked about buying back a quarter of the company. Chevron stock has been red hot. It yields just 3% here. But that's only because its stocks run so much. My favorites, though, have more growth and better dividends. And the first one is Devon Energy. That's the product of a merger between WPX and the old Devon, which let the much smaller WPX terrific CEO Rick Moncrief take over the entire business. Now, he is the one who pioneered the variable dividend model earlier this month. Uh, Devon laid out the terms of its fixed plus variable dividend, which currently works out to a more than 7.5 percent yield on an annualized basis. As long as oil stays above 75 and it's comfortably above that right now, you're getting a huge payout with this one. By the way, Rick visited us for one of the CNBC Investing Club meetings. And we had another one coming up Thursday if you want to join us. I, I was very impressed with what he has to say. Next, Pioneer Natural Resources, Pioneer Nat, follows the same variable dividend model, except their CEO, Scott Sheffield, is on a mission. 
to have the highest dividend yield in the S&P 500. I've known him for a generation. He's going all in on return to capital. If you annualize this quarter's payout, Pioneer's got nearly a 9% yield here. Finally, there's a company called Coterra, which is created by the combination of Capital Oil and Gas and Simrex, both low-cost operators. Cabot had a strong position in natural gas, while Simrex was a premier Permian Basin and Anadarko producer. The stock yields an astounding 9.7% here. Qatar is also committed to buying back a huge percentage of shares. Uh, between the dividend and the buyback, they're pouring in 74% of the cash flow. Wow! This one's intriguing because so much of Qatar's production is natural gas, which, of course, is essential if we're going to help Europe wean itself off of Russian fossil fuels. Recently, Kotara took approved reserve reduction that unnerved a lot of investors. But over time, I think people realize that's not significant. If you've traded or invested in this group as long as I've had 40 years, you know it's not that significant. If you believe next year is the year of yield, Devin, Pioneer, and Kotara are the three best stocks known as long as oil and gas prices don't take too much of a hit. If crude stays above the mid-70s, they can return a mountain of cash to the shareholders with yields that put the two-year treasury to shame. Oh, and best of all, there are sellers of all three of these stocks right now, and that is the best time to buy them. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you, if I just be right here, man, money, I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.